0: So my topic this morning is love in discipleship, and I want you to think of five words. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you five words this morning. We're going to be in John 13 and also John 15, so if you want to open your Bible there, John 13 and John 15. Here's the first word, calling. We're going to look at calling, and we're going to look at abiding. So calling and abiding, write down calling, write down abiding, and then obeying. Calling, uh, abiding, obeying, and then investing and serving. So calling, serving, abiding, obeying, and investing. And I'll give those to you as well as we go through our text. Here's the challenge. I'm going to give it to you right, right at the very beginning. Here it is. I want you to catch this and pray this through is take your place. That's what I believe that God's calling us to in this area of discipleship that you would take your place as a follower of Jesus Christ. Some of you have already done that, but that's something that is ongoing in our lives. Amen? Something every day we have to choose to follow Jesus Christ. Take your place as a follower of Jesus Christ, and then also take your place as being a fisher of men, which means now you're making disciples and you're investing in others. Maybe different than some teachings that I give, I really feel led Today, to share my heart with you, to share a little bit more of my life, what my life looks like uh, at home, I really want to speak to some of the real things that we go through as men. If you have been at Rocky Mountain the last six weeks, it's really been a move of God and men from other churches, I just want to share a little bit. We've been in the section of scripture with David and Bathsheba. And instead of just blowing through those chapters and going, here's the nuts and bolts, of the story of David and Bathsheba, we we really slowed down and we took four weeks to look at sexual sin and sexual integrity. And we talked about it openly of what it really is in the church and what it really is in in our lives. And our big prayer that we are asking God to do is to break our culture inside of RMC when it comes to sexual sin, that it's not this area of don't ask, don't tell, that we don't ever tell anybody that we're tempted or we've fallen in this area, that we don't ever ask. And so guys, if you are from RMC, we had our sexual integrity conference, God was so good, he really moved in a powerful way, is if you were at that conference and you've been hearing those messages, you need to ask another man while you're up here. So hey, how's it going? When was the last time you looked at pornography? How are you doing at lust? Where's the attitude of your heart? Because what can happen is, It was just a week ago, but we moved past from that conference and we don't make it part of our lives. Like, I really believe that this needs to be an ongoing conversation with one another, that we're bold enough to ask, that we're bold enough to tell, and for God to work. And, guys, if you're from another church, I want to challenge you to read a book. I'm not a big book guy. You know, I just, I'm not a big reader. But this book that we've been reading uh, as men in our church is called Clean. And it's by Dr. Doug Weiss, and it's about sexual integrity. We read it in my men's group that I'm a part of. We read it as a pastoral staff. Now we have small groups that are, are going through uh, this book. I believe if you pick it up, it'll change your life. And for me, when I was first given this book, I was, I was going, you know, this, this is, you know, I understand this is a big deal. But it wasn't pressing for me to read it. And if you're doing good in this area and you read this book, it'll help you to invest in other men. It'll help you to be a better father. So I really believe it's a powerful book for men. And what I'm seeing in our church and I'm praying for Colorado is that God grows up mature men. For the first time in our church, we're seeing men respond more than women. At the sexual integrity conference, there was more men than there were women. And it's not a competition. But historically, in all churches, and our church included, when it comes to things of God, women show up. And men don't show up. But what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that we're to be spiritual leaders. What are all of our wives saying? What are even the single women in the church saying? We want men to lead. We want men to be Christ-like servant leaders. And so that's awesome to see how the Lord's working and how the Lord is moving. So this is how God used this conference in my life a little bit. It's the aliens. <laughs> so I'm at the conference on Saturday and, and taking in the teachings. And during the question and answer with Doug and Julie, Doug said something that hit me. And I know it was the Holy Spirit. And he said, it's time to cleanse the temple. And it was a sexual integrity conference. But what really hit me was bitterness in my heart towards my children. And to be honest and to be real with you guys, marriage has come very easy for Amber and I by God's grace. Like we were met and married in eight months. We're really best friends. We don't have a lot of arguments. We tend to see life the same way. Just God was super gracious in that. It's not because who we are as people. It's, it's God just gave us a gift and marriage has come there very naturally. With our four kids, I love my four kids, And they're they're the joy of my heart and my life. All four of our children were born at home, which I know that's kind of freaky to to some of you. But as a dad, you know, I got to be right there as they were born. I I cut the umbilical cord. You know, they were were right on my chest. And I remember distinctly each and every one of them. And, And they mean so incredibly much to me. But I find that, Dan, do you mind seeing if we can get... I don't know. It feels like it's back in here, gone to amp, maybe. So the, I find as a, as a dad, that's where it's really challenging. I feel like I was way more equipped to be a husband than I was to, to be a dad. So it's been a growing process and continues to be a growing process. We have a 12-year-old daughter. She'll be 13 in October. We have a 10-year-old daughter. We have a six-year-old daughter, and we have a son that's very much three that's about ready to be four. <laughs> and I've never had a 12-year-old before. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out this new phase in, in her life. At the same time, I'm very much having to discipline a three-year-old boy that I've never had a three-year-old boy before. It's, you guys know it's different, right? The girls, you tell them one time, Hey, you're not supposed to stand on the table, and that's it. Why? He just keeps standing on the table. No matter how much discipline he gets. So our home is filled with life, and it's filled with chaos, and it's filled with difficulty that has to to happen. And, And what I'd found in my heart was that there was bitterness towards these kids that I love so much, in particular, one child. And... We had that response time for, you know, couples to come down and receive prayer. And Amber and I are praying for couples. And after everybody got prayed for, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I grabbed my wife by my hands and I just began to weep. I said, babe, I'm so bitter towards one of our kids. I need God to cleanse my temple. And we just prayed together and she wept and I wept. And that was the beginning of some, some relational healing. And then we were in the Word last weekend with David and Absalom, and how David didn't confront sin in his home. And that's what I'm talking about this morning when I talk about take your place as men, is that we take the place in our home, and we're instructing, but we also confront sin. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not things that we ever talk about honestly. Like, how difficult is that first to confront yourself and go, what am I doing wrong in my home? That's contributing to problems? Where have I allowed bitterness to come in? We tend to to go, well, it's the wife's fault, it's the kid's fault, it's the the roommate's fault, and first to do some self-confrontation, to let the Holy Spirit come in and and bring things to light. And then even in the midst of disciplined kids, sometimes it's hard to take the time and have the courage to have a heart-to-heart conversation with them. And I think deep down, like, we know in our hearts, like, If discipline takes place, but if if something doesn't happen in the heart, in the heart of a child, in the heart of the parent, things don't really change. The discipline is a tool to hopefully get to the heart. And so I'm really being challenged as I'm giving this message. You know, sin needs to be confronted in my life. It needs to be uh, confronted in, in the home. David didn't do that, and you see the disaster. And it's Saturday night, and all of a sudden, there's some things that need to be dealt with. I sit down with one of my kids, and I say, you know what? And it happened to be the particular child that I'd been struggling with being bitter. And I didn't say, hey, I've been really bitter towards you. But I did say, you know, I've allowed bitterness to build up in my heart towards you kids as a whole. And I'm really sorry. And I really feel convicted about that. And would you forgive me? And I said, you know what? I think that you're bitter, that you've allowed bitterness to build up towards your mom. And before you know it, the three of us are in our family room and we're crying together. And I go to my my, uh, my child and I say, When was the last time that you asked God to forgive you because of what was in your heart? She said, Dad, it's been a really long time. It's been a really long time, Dad. I said, Well, do you want to pray? And she says, Yeah. And she prays and she says, God, would you forgive me for my bitterness towards my mom and dad? You know? And then Amber and I, we pray and say, God, would you forgive us for our bitterness towards the kids? And you know what? God cleansed the temple. And... And I'd like to tell you that somehow magically all the difficulties in our home just went away after we said that prayer. And that why the three-year-old was up in his bed going, oh, praise God that... (laughs) Mom and dad had this breakthrough, and one of the daughters had this, had this breakthrough. I'm just going to wake up, and I, I'm going to be in the program, you know? It, guess what? He woke up as a selfish three-year-old, right? He, he's a good kid, and he's a loving kid, but he, he's selfish, just like all of us were at, at, at age three. And we've continued to have to deal with life, groceries, and laundry, and, and school, and, and all of our own attitudes on any given day, but the environment in our home has been different this week because of the conditions of, of our heart. And what I hope that you get out of the word this morning is some tools and encouragement to go into your spheres of influence and be a disciple maker, and be someone that says, you know I'm going to take my place and I'm going to lead. So first, we look at calling. Love is calling. And this is leading into John chapter 13. Jesus calls Peter, he calls Andrew, James, and John at the Sea of Galilee. Four men, two sets of brothers. James and John are brothers, Andrew and Peter are brothers. Sea of Galilee is a a giant lake. These men are fishermen, they've grown up together fishing. Peter is casting his net. Peter and Andrew, James and John are mending their nets. Christ is known in the area. The scripture tells us he was at the Sea of Galilee. Then he went down to the wilderness to be baptized. He comes back to the Sea of Galilee. He's just beginning his public ministry. He's going to call disciples. He's going to call followers. The calling Simple statement, profound statement that he continues to give today. He looks at these four men and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So an invitation and a promise. The idea of discipleship, mentorship was a part of their culture. We look at it as apprenticeship. But it's this idea that I'm going to do life with you and I'm going to mirror what you do. I'm going to imitate what you do. And they knew what they were being called into. Jesus was going to be their teacher. Jesus was going to be their master. Follow, follow me. And that's what God speaks to us as men. And maybe you remember that day, if you know Christ as your savior, where Christ called you by name. He wrecked your life in a good way. These four men, their lives are never going to be the same from this moment of surrender. It's not going to be the only moment of surrender, but it's the initial moment of surrender. Discipleship, Love and calling is the same. Jesus is the same. Every day we wake up, he speaks to me and says, Eric, follow me, follow me. Take your place. I've got something for you. Your life matters. You. It has purpose. It's a constant battle. Am I going to follow the Lord? Or am I going to follow myself? Is Eric going to be king today? Or is Jesus Christ going to be king today? That's the foundation of everything that we're talking about. As we wake up every day, I'm taking up my cross, I'm following Jesus Christ, but here's the promise. Jesus says to these four men, if you follow me, I will make you. I will make you. I will build your life, and you'll be a fisher of men. It seems to be that these four guys were successful fishermen. John's family was well known as we get further into the Gospels. They knew how to catch fish, but they didn't know how to change lives he's saying, look, I'm going to take your life and allow it to have eternal impact. Now, this doesn't mean that you're necessarily called to a vocational change to impact lives. Oftentimes, we think we've got to do something differently with our job to be able to change lives. That's not always true. It's continuing to do your job, but with an eternal perspective. I'm not just here to make money. I'm here to impact people for Jesus Christ. I'm glad you guys are spread out through Colorado, that you're spread throughout our communities. You serve as teachers, you serve in hospitals, you serve as police officers. That's how our communities change. If all of us worked at a church, if all of us were missionaries, if all of us worked inside of Christian organizations, there would be no light or impact in our community. So it doesn't mean you've got to change your vocation, but it's God saying, your life is going to touch eternity. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome to get to heaven and to have somebody come up to you and say, you know what, those three years that you worked with me, I knew you were a Christian and you shined the love of Jesus Christ. And I didn't receive Christ at that point in my life. But 10 years later, I did and I remembered the impact. That's a testimony of my mom. She grew up in an unsaved home. She'd never heard the gospel till high school. One of her classmates was a Christian, showed her the light and love of Jesus Christ. She didn't get saved for four or five years later but she remembered the seed that was planted by that guy in high school. She's never met him again. She's going to get to heaven and see that guy and go, thank you for investing in my life. So that's the call that we're given. Follow Jesus Christ and he'll make your life. You guys know the scriptures. Peter's a mess, isn't he? James and John were known as the sons of thunder. They're like, call down the wrath of God and just fry these guys' faces off, you know? (laughs) It's encouraging to us because their starting point is our starting point. Their struggles are our struggles, and Christ was faithful to his promise to continue to grow them, to continue to change them and transform them. Then we get to John 13. So we've looked at calling, and now we look at serving, and this goes into taking your place, taking the place that God would have you to serve. And I want to focus down on verse 12 through verse 17. Jesus is coming to his last hour. This is his last moment with the disciples, the last supper. And Jesus gives us the apex of his message. He spent three years with his disciples, and then now he's saying, I want to leave one thing on your heart and your mind of what you're to do. This is how you take your place. The mantle is being passed from Jesus to the disciples. The disciples will be filled with the Spirit and then they're supposed to live out this call that Jesus has given. I was so thankful for Dave's message last night, because if we focused on taking our call throughout the power of, without the power of the Holy Spirit, it would be futile, wouldn't it? The only way we can live out this call to serve in this way is through the power of the Holy Spirit continuing to fill us. This gives us a really clear vision of what it means to take our place in our home, in our church, in our communities, in our job. In verse 12, so when he'd washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? Jesus is saying, take, take a minute to think about this. He just washed their feet. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so am I. For so I am, saying, it's good that you call me your Lord and your teacher, because that's my place in your life. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do as I've done. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus is teaching discipleship. He's saying, okay, guys, you're committed to following me. You would all say that I'm your Lord and your master. So you have watched me do this, not just at this one moment. This is the way Jesus lived his life. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. He came to lay his life down, to be the ransom for many. Now he ends it with this visual lesson. Guys, I've just washed your feet. You know how humbling that would have been for the disciples? This was the job of the servant. At this point, they know this is God in human flesh. Peter had a really hard time with it. He's like, You can't wash my feet. I need to be washing your feet. And Christ comes and he scrubs the dirt off of their feet. And I think if we're going to serve in a Christ like manner, we have to stop and reflect how Christ has served us. Hasn't he washed our feet in a spiritual sense? Even more than wash our feet. He died for our sins. He laid his life down so our soul could be clean, so our soul could be forgiven, so we could be the child of God. Men, you're gonna see dirt. You're gonna see dirt in your family. Maybe you know your your wife's dirt, you know your kids' dirt. And what are you gonna do? And Jesus is saying, wash their feet. Pray for them in the, those areas. Don't beat them up. Don't condemn them. Jesus washed Judas' feet. Christ knew he was going to betray him. Maybe you've got a Judas at work that always stabs you in the back. It's trying to ruin you, get you to lose your job. Maybe you have a neighbor like that, a family member like that. You see the dirt. How do you respond? Wash their feet. You're going to see the dirt in your church. As you do take your place and you get more involved in your church, guess what? The church is full of sinners, pastors included. It doesn't justify sin, but it's real people attempting to love the Lord with real failures. Maybe you've been stumbled at some point in your journey because a spiritual mentor or leader has let you down. You could probably list some dirt at Rocky Mountain Calvary. You could list some things that need work in your own church that you're coming from. And you've got a choice to make. We can be part of the solution or we can be part of the problem. Okay, God, I see a need. I'm going to start praying for that. I'm going to start seeking to be able to meet that need. See some problems in your neighborhood? I see some problems in my neighborhood. It's challenging for me to get involved in the life of my neighborhood. Because I look at my life and I go, It's full. It's full at home. It's full at church. You know, you guys look at your life. It's full at home. It's full at work. So I don't know if I'll make it a priority to get involved in my neighborhood. It's really easy to grumble about things in the neighborhood, but it's another thing to care and get involved and to pray, try to meet needs. Maybe have a a barbecue on the street and invite the neighbors out. Let's get to know each other. Walk around your neighborhood when you're walking around your neighborhood. Just pray for the people that live in those houses. Pray for for God's peace. We're taking our place through serving. I don't want to overcomplicate this. This really is meeting needs that nobody else wants to do. This is physical. This is practical. This is the dishes that need to be done. The trash needs to be taken out. The laundry needs to be put away. There's no toilet paper in the bathroom at the church. There's snow that needs to be shoveled at the workplace. Christ is the ultimate man, amen? Amen. He's showing us manhood, and biblical manhood serves. I want you to think about someone who has impacted you in the area of serving. One man comes to mind. His name was Mr. Shea. He was the eighth grade PE teacher and also our basketball coach at Grace Christian School in Medford, Oregon. Basketball was my thing at that point in my life. I was this tall in eighth grade and a lot skinnier, if you can imagine that. It was not a pretty picture. I loved basketball. My coach, Mr. Shea, he's a great coach, always had winning teams. But what was unique about him is every running exercise, he did it with the players. And he prided himself in our team being physically fit, saying second half is when we're going to win. We're going to be in better shape than the other team. And he made us run. I like basketball. I didn't like running. (laughs) But it was so cool to look over and to see him running with us. And he wasn't one of those guys where he was running out ahead of us, even though he could. It wasn't one of those macho things like, hey, I'm tougher than you guys. And see if you can be as big a man as I am. He was running with us going, come on, Eric, you can do it. You're doing good. Keep going. And when it came time... For the road trips, we'd be staying in a hotel or you know, staying at a church or whatever. He'd bring his basketball cards, his baseball cards, and he'd start talking sports with us, and then he'd start talking Jesus with us. He'd be like, So what do you think about Jesus? And he knew just because we were in a Christian school didn't mean that we were reached, didn't mean that we were followers of Christ. And you know what? I listened to him. And I wasn't there, my heart was hard. God didn't get a hold of my life until I was in ninth grade, my freshman year of high school. And he had a huge impact. You know why? Because he served first. It's really hard to have impact without serving first. Another tremendous servant that's impacted my life over the years is Robert Beach, our assistant pastor. I was a youth pastor. Sean and I were youth pastors together. And I had this great idea to try to get sheets and sew them together to make this giant movie screen and then have a projector in our back alley so that the junior high kids could come out and watch Finding Nemo, or maybe it was the high school kids. So that dates how long ago that was, when Finding Nemo was the new movie, and projectors had just kind of come out. And I did not think all of this through, but I had really built this up to the kids. Like, this is going to be awesome, and we're going to watch Finding Nemo in the back of the church here, and bring your friends. It's going to be this giant movie screen. And it's the day of, and I'm trying to hang the screen bad idea, right? So Robert's a busy guy. He's got a lot to do, and he took that whole day to help me get that screen together, and then he helped me throw it off the top of the church building and attach it to the roof, and he made the night a success. It would have never happened if it wasn't for Robert helping me. Now, he's my boss, and he could have said, you know what? You're stupid. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not going to I'm not going to help you. I'm going to write you up. You know, you need to to think this through before you do this stuff. But he served. You know, and Robert continues to, to serve in very quiet but powerful ways. Now I'm the lead pastor, and you know, there's not a time that I leave that church building where he doesn't wait for me. He's watching out for me. He knows that hey, this lady's talking to Eric alone. He'll come sit a few rows away. If I'm in my office counseling somebody and it's 10.30 at night and it's finally done, his office is a few doors down, the light's on, he's sitting there in his office, and he's just saying, you're not gonna be alone in this. That's never anything I've asked him to do. It's his heart to be able to serve. I go, wow, that's what a blessing. What, 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 a, what an amazing servant. And you know what? When Robert speaks into my life, I listen. It's not difficult for me to listen because he served. So look in your life and taking your place and saying, God, how do I serve? Let's look fairly quickly at John 15 as we look at. We've seen calling. We've seen serving. We see obeying. And we see investing. So John 15, verse 1. says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Dave talked last night about the I am statement. This is a statement of deity, and Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Do you feel God's corrective hand? Do you feel God's pruning hand? That's because your life's bearing fruit. And God's saying, I want you to bear more fruit, so I'm going to challenge you. So that's a good thing. That's an encouraging thing. God, you love me enough to cut me back a little bit. You love me enough to challenge me, because out of that's going to come greater fruit. It says, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Also, the branches can't bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they are gathered them and thrown into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. I want to be more practical than anything else this morning. I want to try for God to give us tools in this area. Okay, I want to take my place, the leadership that God has given me. So I got to respond to that calling to follow Christ every day. I need to serve. I need to choose to serve in every area of my life, and I need to abide. Abide. And Jesus gives us some hints here of what it means to abide. Devin did a great job on the devotion this morning of of Psalms 1. He talked about delighting in the word of God. Not duty, but but delight. Jesus says, if my words abide in you. So one of the ways that we abide in Christ as the vine is to be in the word of God. We can't take our place unless we're getting filled up. We can't effectively serve in the ways that God has called us to, unless the word of God in a relationship with Christ is active in our lives. So one of the ways that we abide is to have a healthy time in God's word. This gets real, doesn't it? I mean, you come to men's conferences and you get all pumped up. You go to a sexual integrity conference, you get pumped up. It's like, how do I do this in my daily life? How do I be the man that God wants to be, me to be as a sing, single man, as a, as a married man? You know what it takes? It takes meeting with the Lord every day having a time of prayer, having a time in God's word. That's abiding, that's relationship. It's not just about how much you read, but fellowship with God and God speaking into your heart and into your soul. Some of you are saying, I don't know where to start. Start with the gospel of Mark. Read the whole book, one or two chapters. Come with a pen ready to underline. Come maybe with a piece of paper or your phone open to type type some notes and write down that verse that speaks to you. Dave taught us, ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in truth. God, I'm expecting for you to speak. I'm expecting for you to show me things I need to know. I'm ready to underline it. I'm ready to to be able to to write it down. All that God is asking us to do, and this is so refreshing, is be connected to him. He says, without me, you can do nothing. He just lowered the expectations way down here, didn't he? He's like, pretty much, you're a dirt clod without me, you know? you're made of dirt, you're going to return to dirt. Without me, don't even try. You can't do this, guys, without me. But if you abide in me, if you stay connected to me, you're going to bear much fruit. What does a branch do? It hangs out with the vine. It stays connected to the vine. Then the fruit begins to come. Think of it like your cell phone. You got to plug it in, right? It's going to die if you don't plug it in. But it gets plugged into the power source The battery's charged, and you're good to go. So through faith, trusting God in our situations, trusting God in our lives. God, this is what's going on in my family. It's really difficult. I don't know how to have this conversation with my wife. I don't know how to have this conversation with my kids. I have had this conversation with my kids, and nothing has happened. You know, what I started off with expressing what God's doing in our family, you know, we've had conversation at times with our kids that it feels like it's going nowhere. You've had those too? Like they're not always breakthrough ones. You might have you know, 50 ones that seem to go nowhere for that 51st one that, that go, goes somewhere, right? And so how do we get through this? How do we endure all of this? How do you be that light in that workplace in that difficult environment? It's abiding in the Lord. God, I'm trusting you in this situation, even though it seems like it's not going anywhere. Worship is so important. In times like this, but also in our cars, as we're going throughout our day, giving thanks to the Lord, it all comes back to relationship. Love is abiding. Discipleship, following Christ and making other disciples has everything to do with love. You're going to abide in what you love. So Christ, I love you, so I'm abiding in you. I'm staying connected to you. You don't have to force the fruit the fruit is going to come as you abide in Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through your life, then God is glorified. But I want to tell you this. God saved you as his son so you would bear fruit. It's his plan. It's his heart that fruit would come through your life so that he would be glorified. And that's encouraging. And then we look at love is obeying in verse 9. It says, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. So there we see God's love for us. As we realize his love for us, then we want to dwell in his love. We want to be at home in his love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. Jesus is speaking very practically. He's putting the cookies down where we can reach them. He says, how do you abide in my love? Well, you're going to obey my commands. His commands are love. His commands brings a whole fruitful life. And he's saying, okay, Peter, James, John, the rest of the disciples, guys, I want you to keep my commands. And by keeping my commands, you're abiding in my love. John 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Guys, it's time to grow up. I'm being challenged by that in my own life. God's challenging me to to grow in him to obey in greater ways. Don't be content with where our obedience is at. It's easy to ride the roller coaster and go, you know what, my life's not what it used to be and it's sure not as bad as some other guys and I've got a certain level of obedience in my life, but God's saying there's a whole nother level of obedience that could take place in your heart and in your life. Okay, I've worked in this area of your life, now I wanna work in this area of your life. It's not just stuff to stay away from, but it's also stuff to enter into and saying yes to the call that he's placed upon your life. See, obedience isn't an option when it comes to discipleship, of Jesus being our Lord and our Master. This is a given. This is the foundation. I want to read this quote from Oswald Chambers. It says, Jesus Christ is always unyielding to my claim, to my right, to myself. The one essential element in all of our Lord's teaching about discipleship is to abandon no calculation, No trace of self-interest. So that's always Christ's agenda, is He's confronting my selfishness. He's confronting my unwillingness to, to be obedient, saying, Eric, obey me. You're gonna see the blessings flow in your life through obedience, and I don't mean monetary blessings, but I do mean fruit. We're gonna see things take place in our marriages. We're gonna see things take place with our kids, in our communities, in our church as we walk in obedience, we're going to go, wow, I'm abiding in God's love. I'm staying connected to Christ. There's a certain part of this where Jesus is saying, you know what? You can know me, you can talk to me, you can study my words, but if you don't tend to obey it, you're not really abiding in my love. You're not really connecting with my love. Come at it with that perspective of obedience. Will we always succeed? No. Will we fail? Yes. When we fail, get back up, But understand, God, you want me to to obey. This is where I want to land tonight, or this morning, feels like tonight, is the investing. Look at the way that Jesus invested in the disciples and the way that he's calling them to invest. Jesus is saying to the disciples, it's time to take your place. In verse 14, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. In John 13, Jesus said, you're going to be blessed if you do this. Blessed means happy. Oh, how happy you're going to be if you don't live in self-interest, but you live for serving God, expressed through serving others. Jesus was a joyful guy. Even as he was headed to the cross, he's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there's going to be so much weeping. But his overall sense of how he lived his life was this deep-seated joy because he was serving the Father. This deep-seated joy of laying his life down for others. And he doesn't just speak of joy in general. He's saying, look, I'm going to give you my joy. It's possible to walk through this life with the exact same joy of Jesus Christ and say, your joy is full. Your joy is abounding, not based on your circumstances, not based on how things are going, Not how the election's looking in November, but based on who God is. Jesus is about ready to go to the cross, and he said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured endured the cross. It wasn't easy. It was difficult. He's going to talk about sacrifice in this next verse, simultaneously with talking about joy. He says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I have commanded you. Love is expressed in sacrifice. Love is expressed in investing. That's our last word, investing. Jesus is gonna teach this and then he's gonna live it. He's gonna lay down his life for his disciples. He's gonna die on the cross for them. On our church staff, we've seen this lived out here recently. There's a lady who works in the financial office. Her name is Jeanette. She's been with the church for over 15 years. She was here when I came 16 years ago. And she has kidney failure for the second time. Her brother gave her her first kidney 16 years ago. But now that kidney's failing and she's needing another kidney. At that point in her life, she's single. Now she's married. And her husband was the first one to sign up to give one of his kidneys. And it was a perfect match. And they get down to the very end of the testing. And he has a little blemish, a blem on his his kidney that could result in cancer so they disqualified him out I have never seen someone have so much joy about the potential of giving up their kidney Hernando was lit up he's like I'm so thankful to the Lord that we're a match I'm so thankful that I could give my kidney and in the back of my mind I'm like I'm keeping both of mine you know like Hernando that's amazing that you're doing that but you know one could go out and I could I could use the other one right And and he was so ready. Why? Because he loves his wife, you know? And that's the expression that friends have for other friends. And what Jesus is saying is, guys, you're my friends now. And because I love you, I'm laying down my life for you. I'm I'm investing in you. And then he says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. Friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. So let's talk very openly about investing. For us to take our place as men, it's going to involve us laying down our lives based on love. Our love for the Father and our love for others. Are you willing to do that? Am I willing to do that? And I want to commend you. I know many of you, you are laying down your life. You are taking your place. You're saying, I realize I'm the head of my home. I am committed to, to my church. I want to be a light in the workplace. And praise the Lord for that. And God has so much more for you as you continue in that place. But this is, I want to give you a little bit of vision, hopefully, that's coming from the Holy Spirit for what God has for your life as a man. I think sometimes as the church, we haven't done a good job of teaching from God's word of saying, this is what biblical manhood looks like. This is how you can invest very practically. So if you're married, first laying your life down for your spouse, for your wife. That's what God calls us to. So how does that look? Pray for her every day. If there's anything that you do as a husband to lay your life down for her, You pray for her. And we think of people who serve, our wives serve. Our wives are serving right now so we could be up here and enjoy this weekend. They're probably getting their cans kicked with the kids and everything. There's probably some plumbing that's broken and a toilet that's not working. and It all hits when we're at men's retreat. Whether your wife works or stays at home, every day when you walk in the door, she's served you. A lot of times, it's the nature of our wives to serve. And we tend to be selfish pigs, don't we? We tend to not even know where they're at emotionally, not know where their difficulties are going, and say, I'm going to put her needs above my own. I'm going to lay my life down for her. I know that all of us as men would protect our wives. If an intruder broke into our house, we would lay down our lives to protect our wives and kids. But would we lay down our lives to serve them on a daily basis? Not only pray for your wife, but pray with your wife. Guys, we live in crazy, dark times. The spiritual battle is real. One of the testimonies that came out of this Overcome Conference is a couple was sharing with us as pastors, we've been married for six years, we've never prayed together. We're a Christian couple, we've never prayed together. And out of this conference, my husband came home and said, I want to pray with you to his wife. The wife is in tears that her husband wants to pray with her. And she said, when he started to pray, she could tell it was really awkward for him. And he was having a hard time. But then God kicked in and it started to flow from his heart and his life. It doesn't have to be fancy. When Amber and I pray together, it's not fancy you would be ashamed of our prayers that we have together. <laughs> we have four children. And at the end of the day, when we're laying in bed together, we pray. And sometimes it's pretty darn short, you know? And other times, but we make that a point to say, we want to pray. At my bachelor party, when my friends, he said, we were ta- they were talking to me about marriage. A lot of these guys were, were married. And he said, Eric, I want to challenge you, don't let one day go by without praying with Amber. Every day of your marriage, grab her by the hand and pray for her. We're going to do a lot of things wrong as husbands, amen? (laughs) But one thing right we could do is to pray with our wives. This is the problem if it's not done on a daily basis. If we just go to pray with our families when things hit the fan, our wives are gonna look at us and go, you're just trying to get out of jail, bro. Like, and prayer's not gonna be the get out of jail free card, sorry. <laughs> I don't feel like praying with you, you've been a jerk, you know. <laughs> but if you pray every day with your wife, then it's part of what you do. And you'll find yourself if you're praying with your wife every day, you're trying to talk to God, and your wife's standing right next to you, and there's a lot of accountability. And all of a sudden, the prayer might go, God, would you really forgive me because I was mean to my wife today? God, would you forgive me because I lost my temper with my kids today? And your wife's going, wow, he does realize that he was an idiot today, (laughs) right? Laying your life down. This is simple stuff. We need simple stuff that we can actually apply to our lives. You guys go to church with your wives. If you're going to be married in the future, you're the spiritual leader saying, let's go to church. So go with a listening heart and a listening ear. And then when you're going home or sometime that day, say, hey, babe, what did you get out about the message? It's crazy how much Amber loves to talk about the things of God. And even as a pastor, sometimes I'm kind of like, you know, we've exhausted this topic on predestination. free will, you know. Like, trying, trying to continue to stay engaged in this, this conversation. She wants to talk about it, you know. Well, what did you get out of the message? She's going to have something to say. And she says, what did you get out of the message? That's being a spiritual leader. With the kids, pray with your kids. Tuck them in at night and pray for them. I don't care if they're 16 years old. They say, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray with you. Try when you're heading out the door. Kids love a spiritual blessing from their dads. To this day, I'm 38 years old. My dad's 64 years old. When he puts his hand on my shoulder and he prays for me, it means the world to me. We can be really hard on our kids. And do we ever speak words of blessing upon them? Father, I thank you for Hannah. I thank you for Wyatt. Lord, would you bless them? Would you keep them? Would you cause your face to shine upon them? Again, it doesn't have to be this long prayer. You're headed to work. They're headed to school. I'm gonna put my hand on upon you. I'm just gonna pray for you and I'm gonna pray God's blessing upon you. Deuteronomy 6 gives us some indication of this. What, what we're really doing now is saying, how do we make disciples? How do we invest in others? How do we lay our lives down for our children? Deuteronomy 6 says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then to put God's word in your heart and talk with it about your families wherever you go. So you're seeing, as you're doing life with your kids, opportunities to share the things of God. You're noticing what's going on in their heart and in their life. You're noticing what's going on in their attitudes. And you begin to share God's word with it. Or God's word is real to you. You read something. You got something out of this conference. Maybe it was Psalms 1 out of the devotional. Talk about kids being tempted to walk in ungodly counsel and sit in the seat of scorners. And you say, you go home and you go, I was really encouraged to delight in the word of God. We're beginning to speak the word of God into their lives as we're doing life with them. But here's the challenge, I think, for us is in order to live out Deuteronomy 6 and to lay down our lives for our kids, is that means we have to be in their life. Deuteronomy 6 says, you know, when you eat together, when you're going by the way together, when you put them to bed, when you get up in the morning, and so that means I got to make time to be in their life, right? I got to be at home when they go to bed. You know, I got to make an effort to have a meal with them. That just doesn't come automatically in our culture and our society does it. It's very hard with a family of six to all sit down at the table together. That, that's that got to happen intentionally and to be able to, to put in place. But but what you're saying is this. You're saying is, I'm going to take my place. I, I may not have it all figured out. I'm going to fail, but I'm going to take my place in my home. And then I want to also encourage you, would you please take your place in the church? And a lot of you have. But would you consider serving in your local church? Because the church can only be healthy as we all do our part. And it's not like officially having a position, but it's coming with the attitude of, you know what, this is my church. One of the things that I've really loved out of this series on sexual integrity and our sexual integrity conference is men and women, but especially the men, we've said, you know, I'm gonna come together. This is my church. Like I, I'm owning the other men in this church. I'm doing this small group study and I care about my sexual integrity, but I care about their sexual integrity too. I'm gonna pray for these men and I'm gonna serve, serve these men. There's a lineup of teachers for our children in our culture. Do you know every week at Rocky Mountain Calvary, there's five to 600 kids that come through the door? And a lot of them come from really broken families, and they don't even know their dad. And I don't know why God's done that at RMC, but he has. And guess what? They're little hellions in children's ministry, you know? And then even the kids that do have mom and dad in their lives, they're little hellions in children's ministry too, right? And you hear it all the time, like, we need teachers in children's ministry, And you go back and you say, you know, I could give one service a month to teach. At RMC this weekend, Deb, our children's ministry director, is going to get up in front of the church and say, we need people to volunteer in children's ministry. Like, honestly, on Wednesday nights, now that Iwana's ending, we don't have anybody to teach the kids. There's nobody that wants to teach the Bible to our kids. And Deb's going to get up there and she's going to beg and plead and say, would someone teach the kids on Wednesday night? Would someone share God's word with them on Wednesday night? And what if, in all of our churches that we're in are saying, you know what? I'm not gonna neglect my family. I'm not gonna neglect my obligations to work. But you know what? I could give one service a month to serve in some area of the ministry. I could get involved in that way. I could be a men's ministry leader. I could lead a small group. I could serve in the cafe. I could be an usher. I could serve on the, the worship team. It really doesn't matter what it is. And more than fulfilling the need, I'm, I, I know God's going to fulfill the need. We, we've had children's ministry for 25 years at RMC. God's always fulfilled filled the need. But you know what happens? Our families change. Because all of a sudden, church isn't just something that mom does. Church isn't just something that mom's committed to. One of the best legacies that my dad ever gave me was he served in the local church. He was engaged at home, but he was committed to the local church. I was humbled the first time I got to serve communion because I watched my dad, and that was one thing that he did was serve communion. My dad's a quiet man. He's an engineer. He's never given a sermon. He probably will never give a sermon. But he served very quietly and consistently inside of the church. So, God, I want to take my place in the church. I want to lay my life down for, for the church. And then lay your life down in your workplace. I believe God has you exactly where he wants you to be in your particular workplace to see the divine calling in that place and say, I'm here to lay my life down for people. Yes, I'm providing for my family. Yes, it's a means to the end. But ultimately, I want to be that Christ-like servant in that place. And I know that you guys are doing this. And I'm going to end with this. Man to man, Pastor to brother in Christ, brother to brother, I don't have all this figured out. I am not the leader that I wanna be and I know God wants me to be. I'm 38 years old. I look in the mirror and I go, 12 years, I'm gonna be 50. My kids are gonna be largely grown up. God, I wanna take my place in my family. God, I'm taking my place in my family in my marriage, with my kids, in our church, in our community. We're going to fail, we're going to fall short, but it's time for response. There's been a momentum that's happening in our church. God's not setting us free from sexual sin just to go, hey, pat you on the back, that's awesome. He's setting us free from sexual sin to take us deeper in our relationship with him so that we can take place in our families. So I'm going to ask all of us to respond, all of us to stand. Let's pray for one another that God would help us to take our place. Let's stand together. Father, we come before you as your sons. We come before you broken, needing your work in our hearts and our lives. But we also come in response. We also come standing, standing before you. And in standing, it's symbolic of the fact that we're gonna take our place as followers of you to follow Christ. We choose to follow you afresh today. We claim your promise that you will make us fishers of men. Or we take our place in our families, married or single. We take our place Lord, in our churches, where we take our place in our community. And as we were taught last night, we continue to ask for that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. We ask by your grace, by your mercy, beyond what we can conjure up, then there would be more fruit in our lives than we could ever imagine, simply because we're connected to you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I'm pushing it on time. So ten minutes. Ten minutes and come back. Got a ten minute break, uh ten thirty-five, and we'll come back. So